the confusingly titled Avatar The Last Korra. Flamio, my good Hotman. Oh, Flamio to you as well. Um, <laughs> today we're going to start a new show. Uh, a whole Hannah new and I series. Are going to <laughs> a whole new world we live in. Yeah. Um, we're going to do a simultaneous rewatch of The Legend of Korra and Avatar The Last Airbender. Not just to compare them, but to sort of refresh our, you know, our, our viewings of these shows. And uh, it's it's Avatar The Last Korra. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I don't know about you, David, but I, as far as rewatches and initial watches of these shows go... I watched both of them as they came out initially, and Avatar, um, the original, I have rewatched countless times. <laughs> um, right, and I've done countless rewatches of both shows. Well, I've never rewatched Korra. You've That's, never rewatched Korra I've since it came never, out. I've never. I have only ever seen every single Korra episode, like pretty much once. Um, so I'm excited to sort of dive back in because I have a lot of like Cora opinions TM. Um, and I want to see if they hold up. Um, yeah, I think that's, I think that's a really great, uh, way to go about it. See, I, I've rewatched these shows every which way that I can think of except this one. So I've, you know, I've started at season three of Cora, started at, you know, book one and just watched book one and then stopped. I've watched uh, Avatar: The Last Airbender just book three. I've watched just the just the movies, like the longer three part or two part episodes. Uh-huh. I've done every kind of rewatch except for watching both of them simultaneously, and I think it's going to yield some interesting uh, alchemy. You know? Yeah, I, and and I also think it's a little bit interesting to see, especially right now um, at the beginning of both shows seeing how they're introducing us to these worlds and these characters. Um, and it's all like sometimes some things are a lot more similar than I remembered and other things are strikingly different watching them this yes. way. Um, I, I think it's interesting because when you look at Korra as a whole, I tend to typically err on the side of like the characters are less interesting, less dynamic and they're less, um, they have less uh, uh, chemistry than the original uh, Team Avatar. Totally. And well, I, I tend to think of like Team uh, of like Avatar: The Last Airbender as being more episodic, and you know, maybe overly self-contained and having like some duds in there. Mm-hmm. Um, and like those are like the weaknesses of the two shows. But then like watching them side by side, I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, totally. Um, especially for me because. Even though they there are those duds, um, Avatar has much longer seasons than Korra does. Um, That's right. Which which sort of gives it a little bit more breathing room because one of my biggest sort of complaints around Korra is that I just feel like the pacing is all over the place on that right. show. Um, it whereas is. it I mean, is there's no debating that, but it'll be really interesting. To have it broken up episode by episode, watching them week to right. week, and s- still feeling like okay, no, it's still the pacing is weird. <laughs> <laughs> well, but also comparing it to to the original series, where right. yes, sure, there were some sort of like one off episodes every now and again, but I think on the whole, the pacing felt just like 
so much more bearable and conceivable. Like I can yeah. deal with it, you know? Um, right. Whereas Cora, I felt less so. So let's, let's dive right in with Avatar. Today we're going to talk about the first three episodes of season one, which is um, the two-parter that kicked it all off, uh, The Boy in the Iceberg and The Avatar Returns, and The Southern Air Temple. David, before we dive into the content of the episodes, I'm I'm really curious if did you watch the premiere live? Yes, I did. Um, and interesting story, and I think other people have had this story as well. Which is when I saw the the trailers for it, I was super excited for it, but I thought it was a TV movie. Oh, really? Um, it was just so cinematic and like dynamic. I was like, "There's no way this is a you know, show. Series. This is." This is a, a TV movie. Mm-hmm. And they kind of advertised it like it was a movie, like it was a big one-night event. event. Yeah. And so when I saw it and it got to the end, I was like, oh, it didn't like resolve any of the issues with the Fire Nation. That was weird. And then they were like, coming up next week. And I was like, what? <laughs> um, get the whole series. That's awesome. Um, yeah, so I I was not confused about that um, from the promo. I was very confused because I thought the main character's name was Avatar, not Aang. <laughs> so for like the whole first episode, I'm like, why is this kid lying about his name? It's so strange. Um, <laughs> and then I figured it out. But uh, then you kind of got it. Avatar's then I got title. it. Title. Yeah. yeah. Um, I was pumped for this because like I was a little weeb pretty much always, even though I didn't know it yet. Um, yeah, I was like, a weeb because you made me a weeb. I did make you a weeb. That is my legacy. You brought me, you brought <laughs> me into the world of weebness. <laughs> yeah, but, like, huge Digimon fan, you know? And, like... Oh, sure. I even loved me some Beyblade for the, like, hot second that was on TV. Um, like, just, like, these action-adventure shows that were, like, pretty well animated or just, like, animated in a semi-realistic style. Um, and, I, like, I was very into that. So it was super exciting that we were getting a whole Fantasy World series based around this, like, group of kids going on adventure in, like, a semi-realistic, uh, even even sort of, like, Batman e um style, you know? Yeah, it was the only um it, it was the only really dramatic uh cartoon that was really being pushed by either of the, you know, major channels at the time. Well, and you know, also the, uh, Cartoon Network and and Nick. Yeah. It it was also entirely antithetical to the sort of cartoon common common knowledge of the time which was that episodic works serial doesn't um which was sort of tv at the time too you know there are very few serial dramas or um beyond like soap operas and things like that Um, and certainly that did a lot uh you know in terms of like the way that avatar is set up as opposed to korra i mean you could argue that like the creators really wanted avatar to be like korra but it just they, they were sort of, you know, restricted to, to make it a little more episodic. Mm-hmm. Sure. Um, 
but but I think it really paved the way for a lot of um, shows that people loved later, you know? Yeah, I don't um, think that Adventure Time would exist without Avatar. I don't think that Steven Universe would exist without Avatar. Steven Universe, definitely. Um, um, a lot of Gravity Falls. Like, right. you know, there's just so much. Like, She-Ra on Netflix. Like, all of this, right. um, I feel like, really owe a debt to Avatar um, and what it brought. So yeah, let's um, jump in. Yeah, like diving <laughs> into the the content, like uh, I always forget that the first episode has a different um, narration, opening narration. Oh uh, yeah, that's, that surprises me with every single rewatch. Um, that Katara, who who opens up every episode with a a, uh, a monologue about the nature of the war and and the destiny of the Avatar, um, and what the four elements are. Mm-hmm. Um, this for this particular you know opener. Uh, explains a lot more context, a lot more context about the village and where all the dudes are. Mm-hmm. Where are all the dudes, Hannah? They're fighting the war! In the Earth Kingdom, yeah. They're, they're all gone. F- sailing about fighting firebenders. That patriarchal water attack. tribe. Yeah, exactly. Um, so there's a lot of setup to be done. They need a little bit of opening narration. It's, but that's it's fine. perfectly acceptable. Yeah. What did you think about the introduction of our two, our, our, our two mains... Uh, before before Aang is introduced of, of Katara and Sokka. I still what do you always, think of them? I still always really like it. Um, <laughs> it's so it's awful. I hate is it. it. Like their dynamic in the beginning is so like unlikable. Um, really? To me, uh, I mean, because when you see what they become later, it's like you can see the threads of it. But yeah. for the most part, it's like. I hate you because you're a girl. And then she, Harry, like you're so sexist, and I hate. <laughs> I didn't remember smelly. when I first watched this. I was like, "Holy crap! They can say sexist on a kids show? Damn, edgy." Um, <laughs> it has the word sex in it. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but just like even like calling someone out. Whoa, neat. Yeah, um, but like it's the most. It's the most cartoony form of sexism, which is like, this is what you get when you bring a girl on a fishing trip. <laughs> but like, I mean, yes, it's cartoonish, but like, I don't know, man. As like a sixth grade girl at the time, I was like, yeah, boys say stupid shit like that to me all the time. I relate, Katara. Go off. I guess um, that's true. Yeah. It, it doesn't seem very realistic for their ages, but... If they were younger, know, like they're their like audience, fourteen, like, like yeah. Well, I mean, by the time you're fourteen, when you're in like middle school, I, I mean, you're not saying school. like girls are gross. <laughs> still, yeah, but you're saying point. your sister's gross. You know, like, oh, stupid sure, sister. I mean, and again, like as we learn later, the water tribe as a culture is somewhat yes. sexist and right, rigid that's a good in general. Point. I guess I just thought like. I, I, I'm not, like, a huge fan of either of these people in the beginning. And, like, I come to love Sokka I, Guitar, uh, <laughs> totally, as characters. Totally. Totally. I, I like it because I think it at least gives us some pretty solid characters to work off of. Um, right. Like, I know who Katara is now. She longs for adventure. She wants to learn how to embrace her magical abilities, even though they make her different. Um, she's not afraid of being different. She is strong-willed. Well, they're very just tropey, you know? Sure, like, yeah. I mean, 
it, when they do, I mean, not, not to jump ahead literally to the end of the show, mm-hmm. but when they ultimately end up doing, um, you know, a, a self-parody where they make fun of the characters, I think the, the, the episode where it fits the most is, you know, this episode is the one where Katara gives the most, like, speeches that go nowhere or, like... <laughs> random statements about how like the future is you and is us yeah what? and also just you know <laughs> yelling at yelling at Sokka the most for <laughs> right i mean i think him. one thing i will say is that this episode does sack like suffer from one of my least favorite um i don't know if it's a trope exactly but just like media issues where, like, literally half the problems would just kind of be solved if, like, people just kind of told the truth, <laughs> you know? Right. I mean, you understand why, like... Like, I Aang get it. About, yeah. Uh, why Aang lies about being, being the, the Avatar. Because he Which, doesn't want to be the Avatar. He doesn't want to be the Avatar because it means he got to go away from his dad. Uh, so he ran away from his dad anyway. Whatever, Aang. Everybody's um, dads. Well, his father figure. That's if Spider-Man like, can have Zuko, like 80 Zuko dads. has a line. I think it was in the in the second episode where he's no, like, it's, you don't know anything of fathers, do Yes. You? He, what do you know of fathers? You were raised by monks. Also, okay. In, is it in the second episode? It is the second episode. All right. So we'll get there. Anyway, first episode. <laughs> they find him in the iceberg. Uh, <laughs> like the introductions are pretty awkward. They're fine. At least for for my perspective. Like sneezing himself up to the air and being like, ah mang, and then screaming, Penguin! And then like, you know, he's 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 all hyper and no, you know, grounded character. Right. He's just all hyperactive the whole time. And we don't get a chance to really like sit down with him. Totally. Um, but then I think a lot of that comes in the second episode. Like, you know. That's true. When he's interacting with all the kids. Mm-hmm. Well, not or well, that's still the first episode. Um, like we see him interact with kids, sure. and you know he's still goofy, fun-loving. Like, like we could, if this is our golden trio that we're gonna talk about, you know, like right. our Harry, Ron, Hermione. Like, is it's perfect? <laughs> you know, like it is Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Um, no, like, yeah, it is. It, which is fine. It's a character dynamic that works. There's the one with the destiny. Um, there's the like. <laughs> there's the smart one, and then there's the emotional one. Um, right. And and we Although, have that. I mean, I don't know if Sokka is defined by his intelligence, at least in these first episodes. That's true. Um, he's, he's more very comedic. Much defined by relief. his yeah com- comic reliefness, which is part of why I hate him so much in these first few episodes before he really starts to define himself. There are a couple of good moments, though. Um, I do love the, at least the first time when he's talking to the kids about being warriors. Um, yeah. And one kid's like, but I gotta go pee. I don't right, know why. I mean, like, that this, one gets me. The whole me. point is that, like, all of that is just played for laughs in the in the initial. Like, later on, his leadership skills are, are, are the stuff of legend. Yes. Um, but, like, you know, the whole point is that his leadership skills in the beginning are, are 
like a joke. They're terrible. Totally, um, but all but he's it's doing the same. Is like preparing them for failure. <laughs> it's the same for Katara, though. You know, like her water bending's a joke. Like she doesn't really have control over it. She doesn't know how to use it. She just sort of causes right. she problems tries to use for it people. Front ways and uses it back ways. Right. <laughs> um, but like, this is why I really love that it aired as a two-parter. Um, because I think you can't just watch these episodes by themselves. I think you need them in right. conjunction because the first one is sort of just a general overview. Here's these characters. Here's the village. Here's the plot. Um, like right. here's where we're trying to go. Um, and then in the mm-hmm. second one, we have some rule breaking, some exile. We get the stakes. Um, I believe Zuko's introduced in the first episode, correct? Yeah. When the laser goes off, you yes. see uncle, I finally found him, the Avatar. Oh, that's, it's just the Northern Lights. <laughs> that's one character who I I really felt like has had, like Uncle Iroh in these early episodes feels very different from Uncle Iroh later. I disagree entirely. I, okay. I, I was like, when I first watched the show, I thought of him as like, you know, completely comic relief, just goofball. Yeah. Um, but then on rewatch, now it, it really feels like, no, everything he says is kind of wise in some way. Uh, sure. It really is speaking to what Zuko is going through. Uncle Iroh, you know, he's the kind of person who will say, like, no, you need to focus on your basics before you can truly, you know, do this. Or, mm-hmm. you know, we've been searching for the Avatar for so long, you know, maybe it's time to move on. I think He's maybe... really trying to speak to his nephew. <laughs> sure. I, I think maybe what I'm pinpointing is just, like, they were bad at writing jokes for him at this point. Um, so all of his jokes are very strange. Like the, fine, I'll teach you the advanced set. But first, dumplings! Rom, 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 rom. Like, I don't know. All right, yeah. I mean, yeah, I think the humor definitely has not blossomed yet because they don't have as firm a grasp on the characters. Yeah. But I think they knew more or less where the uncle uh, Zuko relationship was going, that mm-hmm. it was going to end up being, you know, th- uh, that Uncle Iroh is is looking to help Zuko. Yes, for sure. Um, and I did, I did like the joke, um, maybe you don't remember it, but where, um, Tsuko hands Iroh the, um, the staff and is like, oh, bring yeah. this to my quarters. And then yeah. <laughs> Iroh's just like, hey, do me a favor, bring this to his quarters. <laughs> so this is in, in the second episode in the Avatar Returns. Uh, Zuko right. shows up at the northern, or not the northern, geez, the southern, southern Water Tribe camp, which is just really a collection of tiny igloos and tents. Uh, and yep. Sokka tries to kick his ass and instead gets his ass beat very soundly. Zuko says one of my favorite lines in the whole series where he's like, you're just a child. And then Aang goes, well, you're just a teenager. Which, like, that's a good fucking comeback. It's like, I don't know what you want, it is, bro. It is a really good comeback. Um, I, I think, yeah, a lot of the appeal of this show is that it is very, like, kids rule. Um, yeah. It's, you know, the the children are the people running this war, um, <laughs> oddly but, like, enough. But they're also not, you know? Like, 
Right. It's, they're not in charge, but they are charge, doing all the right. actions that make which, impact. Which also feels very Harry Potter, you know? Yeah. Like, you know, the adults there's were a, running around. something adult and... Also fighting Voldemort, but, like, really it's the kids who are effective. <laughs> right, um, exactly. Which is, which is, I think, is great. That's exactly what every kid wants, you know? There's the, just enough realism that, like, yes, the adults are trying to do something, but, of course, they're failing because they're, they're dumb grown-ups. We're the kids. Yeah, because parents drool and kids, kids rule. Kids rule, yeah. We'll get to that. <laughs> <laughs> um. But yeah, so uh, as far as like the introductions of these characters, you have like the fake out where, mm-hmm. oh, maybe Appa can't fly. This is Katara, my flying sister. <laughs> yeah, right, you have a flying bison. <laughs> That's um, also a good also line. a good line, very character establishing for Sokka. Yeah. Um, um and you've got all the, the the introduction of like this destiny shit and the totally. idea that that, and the you know, Avatar state as, like, a thing sort of is brought up, though we don't know it's called that yet. We just know Aang goes all bluey. They have so many elements. Like, if you just break them down, it, mm-hmm. it's sort of incredible. Like, they because fit a Sokka ton doesn't into know anything about episodes. bending, he calls it, like, magic. Well, so this is one thing that um, I, I really noticed as, a, I think, a great tactic um, for introducing a totally new world to an audience where um, we as the audience are new to everything. So Aang is new to the North Pole, but Katara is new to bending and the wider world. So Aang is able to introduce her to certain like bending concepts and give us a little bit context for what goes on outside of the North Pole. Um, whereas Katara gets to, and Sokka and the rest of the group get to give Aang a lot of context for what's going on here and now. And it all feels very natural. Um, it doesn't feel like heavy handed exposition. Um, and right. it, it does double duty of informing us, the audience, what's going on in the world. And it, and it all just happens through dialogue that feels natural, which I think is great. Right. There's a few unnatural things about sure. it. Sure. Um, in the second, uh, in, in the part of the, I, I, I don't know exactly when the first part breaks into the second part. And I don't think yeah. About it. In my head, it's a very soft break. Yeah. Um, but uh, because it was written as a as a two-part, two-part, not as yeah. a, not as two individual episodes. But in any case, when when they're on the ship, the booby-trapped ship, yes. sort of just having fun. Mm-hmm. They haven't set off the main conflict of the episode yet. Um, they're, they're just talking and it's like, Hey, you know what? I think, I think you were asleep for a hundred years. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, he does just oh sort of brush God, that off years. Well, at least I met a hot girl who is <laughs> hot and cute. Yeah. Um, it's a little so nonchalant. It's extremely nonchalant. I mean, to find out that you've been asleep for a hundred years, everyone, you know, is dead. It doesn't matter whether they were all murdered and genocided, as we find out, they're all dead. So I mean, it's you're gonna get hit with some, some mumbo jumbo with some some heavy thoughts. Mm-hmm. But not Aang. It just, <laughs> it just bounces off his back like uh, rain off a turtle duck's ass. Rain off a turtle duck's ass. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Nope, he just sort of deals with it. So Aang, Zuko shows up at the 
the tribe, he kicks Sokka's ass, Aang shows up last minute and does some cool airbending, kicks some firebender butt, but doesn't want the villagers to get hurt, so he turns himself in uh, and is like, see you guys later. And the ship drives off into the distance. Do ships drive? Sails. <laughs> Sails off into the distance. Um, and then another good Sokka defining moment. I, I like that, yeah. you know, despite the fact that he's been kind of, you know, uh, kind of hesitant to trust Aang, he uh, sort of immediately is like, we got to go save Aang as soon as he's taken. Yeah, because um, he's got a sense of duty. Sokka's a good dude. He's a good dude. Um, yeah, so they, they go out and, and go to save Aang. Aang, as usual, and as we'll see a lot in the next, you know, several episodes, he just escapes on his own, uh, cause he's just pretty good at that. Yeah. He's That's just crafty. one of his many skills. He's, he's a crafty little, little airbender. Um, we get to see a really cool action sequence though, as he does it. Um, I, I love the like Aang escape scene. Um, oh, it's fantastic. And and all of the, like, action, or I would say the majority of, like, the action animation really holds up. Even though, like, it gets so much better by the end. It Like, the beginning yeah. of the show still looks great, you know? The action animation is excellent. It's the facial animation that I feel like suffers the most uh, yeah. from aging. Um, there's a lot yeah. of, like, like anime um, face uh, that just yeah. doesn't look right. Yeah, there's, and there's, I, I want to talk about that more when we get to Korra a little bit, um, sure. but yeah, there's some just like weird facial expression stuff that sort of just happens that I kind of mind now more as an adult, but I, I think ultimately it, it works because even though it is a little bit over the top and a little bit weird, it's still... Um, like it, it, it's a cartoon for children, you know, and like, no, you're right. It has that vibe. It's exaggerated. And it's good. But I just mean like when, when Katara is like given the business to Sokka and yes. she's going like, have you ever smelled your dirty socks? Mm-hmm. And her mouth is just moving like all a over crazy the place. Person. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And her little hair loopies flipping all over the place. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, but so, anyway, Aang and Katara, or not Aang and Katara, Sokka and Katara, trying to catch up with Aang. They're going to use a rowboat. They end up using Appa. They're trying to get him to fly. It's not working. Sokka has the great, like, <laughs> upwards monologue where Katara's, like, trying to, like, sympathize Appa up into the air and <laughs> Sokka's just trying different magic words. I always love up, ascend, elevate. For yeah. some reason that gets me. Um, uh, eventually... Yeah, I feel like that's a tropey kind of joke. There's probably a page for that on Talking Tropes is oh, I yeah. guess the magic word. Yeah. Uh, um, or on TV Tropes. <laughs> that's our podcast, David. <laughs> wah, wah. Um, yeah, so they, they get Hoppa to fly. They fly in. Uh, Katara does a, just a little bit of waterbending to show that she's got a lot of room to grow, but that mm-hmm. she's you know got skills that Aang doesn't have. Yep. Um, 
Uh, oh, a, earlier in the episode, we had uh, Sokka uses Boomerang for the first time, and it yes. does come back. It comes back. And it s- smacks Zuko upside the head. and it looks uh, like a We get another great line from Sokka when Katara accidentally waterbends him to the, <laughs> to the ship, uh, freezes him to the ship, and he uses Boomerang to get himself out. And he goes, um, I didn't ask for all this magic and flying and <laughs> yeah. mayhem. He's just He's a good. normal guy with normal taste. I'm just a normal guy with a boomerang. <laughs> yeah, I mean, his role is like a sarcastic dude. Me- the meat and sarcasm guy. Yes. Um, like, th- that's useful in the introductions of a character and of a world because he gets to be kind of the audience. In on it in on it kind of guy. Um, Anytime that we would, you know, raise an eyebrow and be like, this suspends my disbelief. He gets to lampshade it and be like, mine too. (laughs) My lampshade is is very (laughs) suspension of disbelief. And and he just sort of gets to ug and groan at the very earnest Aang and Katara, you know? Yeah, that's also very true. Um, If it was just them just being earnest all the time. (laughs) It would be a lot. Um, we, we definitely need that. A lot of sincerity. Yeah. Um, so, so they fly off into the sunset after royally screwing up Zuko and Iroh's ship. And the two of them are like, holy crap, that's the fucking Avatar, man. We gotta get him. But also, our ship. Uh, and that brings us to the third episode, the Southern Air Temple, where... We go to Aang's home. Oh, also Aang decides to travel to the North Pole with Katara to find her a waterbending master. And um, to, yeah. And also uh, maybe yeah, I guess save... by that point we haven't decided that he needs to learn waterbending as well. Well, I think we have. It's like you you should probably do something maybe. Um <laughs> uh, because you're the avatar considering. Yeah. Um, and they're like, we could learn waterbending together. And Aang's like, hell yeah. Pretty girl. Worth waiting a hundred years for. (laughs) (laughs) So then they go to the Southern Air Temple, the first of four air temples that we see throughout the series. Yeah. Um, This is Aang's home. uh, It's Aang's home. It's where he used to roam. We get some Uh, flashbacks. Yeah, some nice flashbacks and some nice uh, fun and games with uh, with Katara and, and Sokka. At this point, this is where Sokka establishes his joke as food, which yes. is the laziest joke. It is a very um, lazy joke. He's hungry all the time. He wants to eat the food. He wants the meat food. Uh, Momo, can we get... Uh, Momo's a monkey. Can we eat him? <laughs> um, yeah. We get we get the <laughs> the last member of the the gang for quite some time joins the crew in this episode. So we got two mascot animals now. We've got Appa the flying bison and Momo the flying lemur monkey question mark. Um, it's just a flying lemur. Um So yeah, they're uh they're all there. Uh, Aang has a freak out when he realizes the Fire Nation just, like, totally murdered everybody, and Katara's yeah, able to the, calm him down. This is the first show I ever watched that had a genocide in it. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, um it's really intense and, and, and emotional, yeah. like, just showing up 
a freaking skeleton what? of this dude's like father figure, best friend. Um, yeah. That is rough. Uh, it, well, and I it's mean, it really... really just showed the potential of a show like this. Oh, totally. Like, it's like, and we're not going to shy away from this. Like, we're going to do it it's in a way that's... It's about war, so we're going to talk about war. Yeah, like, we're going to do it in a way that's fit to air on Nickelodeon, but we're going to talk about it, you know? Yeah. Um, which I think is great, because... Yeah, we don't like, see the that's... flesh melting off of the skeleton, but we know... <laughs> He was murdered by firebenders. That's one of the biggest things about Avatar that I think is why it has resonated. One, why it resonated so strongly at the time, why it continues to resonate with people. Um, and I think why it has, I think, a longevity, you know, um, yeah. is that it doesn't talk down to kids, you know, no. like it's for kids and it meets them at their level. But it's not like now kids, this is a genocide. Like it just says You'll get this. We trust but you. But it's not even it's not even 100% just like wish fulfillment. It's like totally. exposing you to all of this new stuff. Like if you're a white kid living in suburban Pennsylvania, <laughs> um you don't get a lot of exposure to any culture outside of your own, any history outside of American history. Much less and, lesser known Eastern Asian cultures. Right. I, and you know, just the style of Avatar being that it's more than just appealing to the weeb. It's, mm -hmm. you know, it appeals to just a pure sense of, I don't know what this is and I'm excited to learn about it. Right. Um, absolutely. Um, and I think that moment is also important too, because it sort of shows we've seen the power that Aang wields against enemies activate before, but now he's just sort of, totally lost all control um and right. it's a really scary tense moment um yes. and katara has to sort of break him out of it um which like we're all very glad she can do but it's like okay it's really important that someone is able to do this um right the way that she brings him out it, is pretty it's it's pretty it's stupid. Like, it's the power we're of friendship. Like a family now, even yeah. though your family's dead. And I, it's just like when I lost my mom, I know what it's like to lose every <laughs> single person you've ever known and loved. <laughs> right. Um like nice try, Katara. Um, but it worked. Because hey, you're just works. so darn pretty. Um meanwhile in this episode, we start getting sure, into Lizuko. some fun. Fire Nation politics, where Zuko, we presumed, is the big bad, but turns out there's some bigger and badder dudes just yeah, I mean, around the corner. This is like the other thing that made Avatar just like mind-blowingly different from everything else is we establish a villain and then immediately go into why is he a villain? What and, is his backstory? And sort what of does he care about? What does he want? Undercutting him as a villain too. Like he has no power at like he's at the mercy of uh commander Zhao, you know um right <laughs> fire nation wolverine um i mean and, more or less from this point forward like there's a there's a few more episodes where he like actively like tries to capture the avatar real hard but like for the most part from here on out we're almost as invested in Zuko's story as we are in the main three. Oh, totally. Because we've, we've not only Zuko is the antagonist of the gang, but 
Zhao is the antagonist of Zuko, almost, you know? Right. Um, Which like sort of they're... makes Zuko more like a deuteragonist. Or, uh, totally. You know? Um, just like an anti-hero or something. A very anti-hero. I mean, he's, he's I wouldn't call him an anti-hero yet. Um, obviously, things evolve. But, sure. um, but he's even more honorable in exile. Than exactly. Than Zhao. the Fire Nation in power. And he, and he just looks so good shirtless. And, um, <laughs> so hot, man. Like, not, not many shows at this point in time were brave enough to have their villain go shirtless in the second episode that he appears in. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the cartoon bravery? <laughs> modern, <laughs> modern shit. Steven Universe, have Steven take his fucking shirt off more. Actually, Steven takes his shirt off a lot, but he's not the villain. He takes his shirt off have all Have Yellow time. Diamond take her shirt off. Um. No. <laughs> yeah, so... Right, but the point is, this establishes a lot with the pacing of, totally. of what the show is. Because, and even though this episode, barely anything happens, especially with the, yeah. the gang of three. It's pretty boring um, with the gang. The Zuko plotline is fascinating. I mean, they're just playing games with, like, airball. And they, well, they discover all the sort of past lives of the Avatar um, and sort of yeah, figure out that, like... which also, not to, you know, digress too much, but, yeah. like, that's a big part of how we come to understand the Avatar state and is that cycle. when yeah. the Avatar state happens, uh, you link up with all the other Avatars in your past. And the Avatar cycle is just its reincarnation except for with this connection to your past lives totally. in the cycle. Totally, um, totally. And it just goes back and back onward into the infinite past. Like, you don't see who the first Avatar is. You don't see, right? you know, how the Avatar came to be. It's and there's just, no talking about its origins. It's just an ever-present It's infinite. nature, you know? It's nature itself, yeah. Um, and the Avatar state is just a connection to all of the Avatars of the past, and it's it's so powerful, the Avatar state, that it activates it's all everyone. the statues in, in the entire world, so now everyone knows the Avatar is returning. Right. Um, which is, which is the, an important plot point, <laughs> you know, yes, that yes, is. Zuko is not the only one chasing after the Avatar. It's slowly the whole world is going to be like, oh, fuck, the Avatar back. Um, right. which is great. So, um, just before we wrap up with Avatar and switch over to Korra, um, I want to talk about the Agni Kai, which is the fight that takes place between Zhao and Zuko, um, at sort of the naval base where they're getting the ship repaired. Um, yeah. just because... Not a single flaw in that animation. <laughs> it's golden. It's so beautiful. Um, but it's... Really wonderful because you have Iroh sort of cheering Zuko on from the sides. Um, you have we get to see Zuko, who we've seen struggle and sort of suffer a defeat, um, and this sort of asshole character come in. Who they just do such a good job of making him so unlikable. You know, like right. it would have been totally possible that we liked Zhao because we were like, yeah, screw Zuko, he's gonna. Like, capture Aang, and we don't want that. But they did such a good job of making him unlikable. They were like, Yes. If anyone's going to capture the Avatar, it's going to be Zuko, not this clown. You know? <laughs> but I love Zhao, too, just because he's so just... So over the top. Like, sneering and yep. just above it all. He's like, like Lucius... Oh. I keep making all these Harry Potter references, but they, they feel of a pair somehow. 
Um, like he he feels very Lucius Malfoy. You know, he is extremely Lucius. Like he's and everybody a- loves Lucius. <laughs> well, he's above it all. He's aristocratic. He's in, very concerned with his position and his power and how he's perceived. Um, so right. when Zuko does defeat him through just literally again the basics of fire bending, um, mm-hmm. he's very disgraced and he strikes out in revenge. And I love the moment when. Iroh steps in and sort of gives like the father speech um, and is like, you've like Zuko has way more honor. Thanks for the tea. It was delicious. Uh, And then I also love the deflect at the end where he's like, wow, did you really mean that uncle? And he's like, yeah, I love tea. It's, it's great. (laughs) Um, Ginseng is my favorite. I think it's Jasmine. Um, Whatever. But yeah. But yeah, it's it's a nice character moment between the two of them that I think really delves into the importance of their relationship because that is yeah. the most important relationship that Zuko has. Period. Of course. You well, know? It's the only one that he has for the whole first season. <laughs> well, right. <laughs> um, but like it goes on to be the only one that matters kind of later on. Um No, I agree. Yeah. Um so Good, good job. I'm, I'm hooked. Uh, can't right. wait for, for more Avatar next week. Right. We've got, we've got a full lock in to the quest on, you know, Avatar: The Last Airbender. Mm-hmm. We're going to the North Pole to master waterbending, both of us. Um, you know, there's no ticking clock. There's no urgency yet. But. Right now, this is what we're doing. We know we're and going on a journey. the conflict is we're avoiding this other guy who's trying to capture us. And the Fire Nation in general. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so then, are you ready to talk about Korra? Korra is happening. And Korra is the story of where are the stakes? It's also the story of remember Avatar and how much you loved that? We do, too. <laughs> Um, right. And we're so, gonna I mean, keep talking for me, about at, it. At least in the beginning of in the beginning of uh, Korra book one, it's just immediately apparent like the stakes have never been lower. Yeah. Um, we're in a post-war era. There's not like a lot of inherent conflict going on, and you know, Korra is the master of three elements. Uh, not quite, not quite getting the hang of airbending yet, but she'll get it. <laughs> She'll get there. Maybe. She's really struggling with airbending. She'll she'll get there. You know, that's the plot of the season. Because this is book one, air. Because the original series had book one, water. Book two, earth. earth. Book three, fire. Right. And As so the only one left them. is air. So this Gotta was going to be a one-off season. Um, and, and I think it's it's so hard. Because I think a lot of the problems that I had with Korra season one when I first watched it, I sort of hand-waved as, oh, well, they only thought there was going to be one season, blah, blah, blah. But after watching the other three seasons of Korra, I don't know if I can do that anymore. You know? Like, well, these these Well, seem- why? I mean, season one, it, did, it was going to be a standalone season. Totally. It, that was the intention. But, so I think you got, you do have to judge it based on that, but I think even then you have to you have to look at it and be like, okay, so it's it's post war, 
there's no inherent conflict in what's going on. It's just sort of like we're waiting around for the conflict to happen. And in the meantime, Korra's got to learn airbending because that's she just does. what she has to do. Right. Um, it's It's super weird <laughs> because... It's like she's sort of being controlled by the White Lotus and kept away from everyone, but also she can kind of just break those rules without any, like, serious repercussions. And, like... Well, because she's, yeah, she's basically royalty. Exactly. So it's She's a Princess Jasmine in, uh, in Aladdin, you know. She just wants to be free, and then she, like, lets a bird out of a cage. Right. That's what uh, freedom is. <laughs> I want to crawl around with the street urchins and get in trouble, which is exactly what which she does. Which is exactly what she does, yeah. Wow, this is the best <laughs> so, analogy. Yeah. Um, but, you know, like, that's the point is what she has to learn more or less in this season is about privilege and about bending privilege. Yeah. And about... She learns it really poorly. fun stuff. She learns it really poorly, yeah. Like... And this story might not even be very good at telling the story of privilege because it doesn't seem to see wealth as privilege, (laughs) only literal water controlling magic. But it doesn't even supersede that as privilege because it doesn't actually interrogate. Okay, so in the in the first episode, um, or maybe it's the no, it's the first episode. It's the first. Cora, Cora comes in. She she runs away from her training center in the South Pole and comes to uh, Republic, Republic City. Republic City. It's New York, but slightly more Asian. Like, it's basically Chinatown, but yeah. bigger. Um, like it's not it's not a fully realized world the way that Last Airbender was. It's, no. it's a limited space, and it's largely defined by. Make it as close to New York as possible while still having it have sort of a, you know, Asian an influence. Eastern influence. Yeah. Not even like Asian specifically, but it's just like a general. It's very generic. Eastern. Yeah, yeah. Which, which is a huge divergence from part of what made um, Avatar so great is that it felt it so really specific. specific. You know, like they drew from real cultures to inform other specific cultures. Like, the Earth Kingdom... Yeah, I mean, not always with, like, a lot of... Uh, Nuance. Accuracy. Sure. But, like, I mean, like, you know, the Fire Nation looks like Japan, it's shaped like Japan, and it looks exactly like the Japanese invasion of China. Right. And the Earth Kingdom looks exactly like China. China. Um, uh, we got Tibetan monks like bigger, from the better China. Air Nomads, and we have like Inuit people for uh, like the, the Northern tribe, and Southern yeah. Water Tribe, which like is great. Like, what other media do you know of that has like Inuit or Inuit inspired people at all? You know, like right, that's not representation that happens with with leading roles. Exactly. Um, so like. You know, whereas I think people you know, have the whole levied... point of Korra was to westernize and Americanize a lot of the things because that's how the creators see modernization. They're like modernization, westernization, same thing, right? <laughs> Without realizing the issues inherent in that. Um... Right. <sighs> I mean, I'm not saying that they wouldn't have cars without, you know, without white people coming and 
<laughs> inventing cars. No. I'm just saying, like, maybe cars would but look a little bit different. Cars than would they probably do. look very different. Or just, like, the way that society works would probably be very different. Like, right. you know, maybe it's... It should have been more Tokyo rather than New York. Like, I don't know if that's a right. great example, but... Or, yeah, or, you know, if anything, like, um, Big Hero 6 had San Francisco. Right. Which, you know, sort of a modern city that really feels defined by, you know, being a lot closer to a, a combination of two distinct cultures rather than just some signifiers of, of Easternism mm-hmm. slapped onto some cars. And right. then the cops... Wear like more flowy uh, samurai outfits. <laughs> right. Um, I mean, I will say this: metal bending cops is still a cool idea. I dig it. Uh, well, well, we'll see where that takes us. But I think one of the one of my big issues with Korra is the way that it sort of cheapens all of the bending disciplines by making them easier to attain and more pragmatic and less spiritual. Totally. Um, like bending, yeah, it was something. It's something that you're born with the ability to do or not in the original show. But also, it's something that you in, you have to train at, specifically with one of like the old masters, because it's an ancient art that can't just be like written down in a book and read and studied. Right, on and, and not everyone's gonna be great enough at it to do like ultra proficient stuff, like flying around right. with metal wires. Um, right. I mean, but like, in addition, the idea that like, uh, well, I mean, we haven't gotten to this episode yet, but, you know, stuff like Mako being able to shoot lightning in a generator and that's just a way to make a quick buck ugh, is like yeah. really crazy when Zuko could not even physically do, do lightning. It, it was yeah. so complicated and spiritual and required such balance of of your your humors, <laughs> your chakras. Yeah, well, yeah, your chakras, to be more Eastern about it. Um, but in terms of Westernization, I mean, the the whole show opens with three wise men riding in and finding the chosen one in a small hut with a, uh, you know, a, a wife and, and husband. It's three wise men. It's Jesus. Oh, fuck, you're totally right. I didn't even notice that. Yeah. Cora's Jesus. I hate it. Um... I really hate that. But, like, let's talk about Korra herself. I mean, is she likable in these first two episodes? Is she immediately, like, as interesting and, and archetypical as, um, you know, Sokka and Katara? Um, so I'll say I this. I think she is. I think she's immediately, it's immediately apparent what type of character this is. Sure. My thought was, like, it's it's like Katara mixed with Toph, you know? She's tough. She doesn't take guff. She's, but she wants to help everybody. She's idealistic and she's, you know, uh, passionate. All the, all the good characteristics, except for she's, you know, she's thick headed. She's uh, stubborn. Here's my biggest problem with, maybe not biggest problem. Here's a problem that I have with Korra. Um, Because they decided to make everyone older so that they could quote unquote, tell more mature stories um because like you know genocide isn't a mature story um it 
it feels really jarring to have the characters act so immaturely. Yeah, they act really childishly, especially when we see how maturely the literal children in Avatar would act sometimes. Um, to well, so see Korra is what, like 16, 17, 18 maybe? Something like that, like 17. She's, she's on the verge of adulthood, but I mean, she's but been also, raised in captivity just, her whole life, basically. Sure, but but I think like everyone's drawn, um, and, and I think this is an art style choice too, like Korra looks like the grown-up versions of Avatar. Like in Avatar, the characters have larger heads, bigger eyes, um, their bodies are like slightly more cartoony in a way. Um, sure. And like the way children are drawn in Avatar is pretty distinct from the way adults are drawn. And when people are drawn slightly more realistically, it's in moments of great peril or seriousness. Um, but Cora takes on that more adult art style from the get go. And everyone just is that way. Um, and then, so, so it just lends an air of like, these are adults or near adults, you know, like we're supposed to think of them sure. as, I mean, I don't think she's as immature as Aang was. I don't think she's as immature as Aang was. But she's like a haughty teenager. Right, which, I I don't know, do you like haughty teenagers? Are you interested in their growth stories? Especially when there's... I'm interested in age stories in in, in all their forms, and a lot of times that's sort of a Ferris Bueller style, you know, I gotta break out of this prison (laughs) that you call detention, and I gotta gotta go kick some ass. (laughs) Kids rule. Uh, but but rule. like but here's the thing, Cora doesn't have that kids rule vibe. It has man, you're so mean to me, fake dad. <laughs> like I just want to do what I want, and you won't let me. Wah. Like yeah, it's I guess it's I, I, I'm not put off by her being rebellious. I'm not put off by that. I just. The ways in which she is rebellious, and I think it goes back to what you said, is there's no stakes. Like, what is she truly rebelling against, you know? No, yeah. I mean, that's the that's the real point. I mean, like, what I'm my basic argument is that I think in the beginning, the characters in, um, in Korra are actually stronger than the initial characters in Avatar The Last Airbender. But because the conflicts are so different you end up feeling a lot more sympathy for the last airbender characters. Whereas, you know, for these, the, the characters in Korra come across as whiny because there's no stakes. Right. So, so basically the characters themselves are fine. It's just the, the plot is not structured well. Yeah. So in the first episode, we have our introduction to Korra. I, I was shocked when we were like halfway through the episode and she was sort of just running away to Republic City, and I was like, God, I feel like nothing's happened. Cause like, but nothing ten... happened in Avatar The Last Airbender, you know, in, in Boy in the Iceberg either. Yeah. It was like a lot of just waiting around for something <laughs> to happen, for, for Zuko to figure out where they're going. But, like, there was conflict that was happening. You know, we open on conflict between Zuko and Katara, and then we have... We on, we, well, to be fair, we open on bickering. That's sure. That's conflict. But it's, I mean, it's not... I'm the Avatar, and that. Like, like I feel like all of Korra's scenes just go, and then. 
<laughs> like, you know, it's not like this yeah, happens. Yeah, no, they don't really lead into each other. They're, they are a little disjointed. The pacing's a little bit off. Uh, but but I think it's there's just a lot of new elements to introduce and not a lot of the standard elements that you would normally have to introduce in a story. So you don't have to introduce the world. You don't have to introduce, you know, the politics or the history. But you do have to introduce, okay, this is the new character, this is what she wants, this is where she lives, this is how she lives, mm-hmm. and this is what, why, when she goes to the city, she's going to be kind of a clueless dork. Sure. Um, I, I just don't know if... I mean, we'll see. Again, I've only watched the series through once, so I sort of only remember right. like vague plot sweeps rather than like specific sure. <laughs> episodes and pacing elements. Um, right. But like, I feel like Cora book one feels more like a standard pilot, like a TV pilot, just like any old TV pilot. Sure. You know I mean? But it's, it's just like, it's a little boring. Like she goes to the city, she gets in trouble. She has to, she's about to be sent home. And then like, like, like that's I don't know. She's just, like, strangely passive sometimes um, when, like, she is shown to be this rebellious, active character. Um, I I find the humor to be really jarring. Like, going back to what you were saying about Avatar and, like, the facial expressions, like, I feel that's dialed up to, like, a (laughs) hundred Well, I mean, the, the, the airbending kids are super annoying. So annoying. continue to be for a while. Yeah. Um, the, the, like, it's the idea that, like, well, we need something in there for the kids as opposed to But I this hate is a show that. Because, like, for there were, all ages. There were tons of kids in Avatar The Last Airbender. And for the most part, they were great. You know, like, sometimes they were supposed to be kind of annoying, but, like, they were annoying in a fun way. These kids just feel like boys yell crazy shit sometimes, so let's have a little rambunctious boy who chews on things and yells shit, and it's like... And there's an hyperactive girl who just asks inappropriate questions. All the time, can't stop talking. You know, girls, they talk so much. (laughs) Yeah, Iki and Milo are just horrible. Um, And, like... Jinora's the best character. is, is inoffensive. Yeah, she does nothing... In this season, really. And then she becomes the best character. Um, <laughs> She's fine. <laughs> I really like Denora. <laughs> um, um, yeah, well, I, I, I think it, we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about J.K. Simmons, who gives a career-defining performance, except for the fact that he defined it so many other times way better than this. <laughs> um, but, but, I mean, he just he brings a certain level of class to any production. I guess. I don't like Tenzin, though. <laughs> Not at all? Not really. I feel like he's interesting immediately. Like, the no. fact that he's just like, don't bring my mother into this. No, and I like, hated that. It's just like... Really? Yeah. Because okay. that's the thing. They do a really bad job of establishing how... Like, there's no relationship that I can gauge between Korra and Tenzin. Like, is it casual? Is it not casual? Well, they just is met. It... But, like, they had sort of met before. But, like, you know, Aang and Katara and Sokka had all just met. And, like, I get those dynamics. Like, easy peasy. Well, you get the sister-brother dynamic. Well, and yes. And you get... 
you get that like okay, this skeptical kid is and really crazy. Accepting. But the whole point is like this is yeah, you get this relationship too. It's teacher student. It's teacher student. You don't know the but specifics. <laughs> I don't I don't know. It just feels underdeveloped to me and he's just sort of like I don't know. All their conflict just feels like someone being like, well, you're not my real dad slamming the door, which like, there's a reason I don't watch parenthood. You well, know, this is what I'm saying is it's a stakes thing again. Like yeah. it's not that this character is ill-defined or poorly defined. Sure. Just, I just have no it's interest just who in this cares character at this without point. stakes. Yeah, no, that's what I'm saying. Sure. I, I just, I think it's important to delineate those things because I think, you know, um, as far as, the the interesting conflicts that are created by Tenzin being there and what his wants and desires are and how they differ from Korra's mm-hmm. are really fascinating. The fact that he's sort of like involved in government, so he's an authority figure not just to Korra but to like the city. Right. He's in high esteem. He's a you know, he's a descendant of essentially royalty like Korra, and so he also has to deal with his privilege. All these things are are interesting foundationally, and I think the relationship between Korra and Tenzin is better defined than you're making it out to be. Do you want to know what my fix for the first episode of Korra would be? Okay. Don't have Tenzin actually show up to the North Pole. Um, Because it feels really weird. The whole episode is about her following Tenzin because she has, like, you know, she wants to be taught by him. Correct. So, you know, she knows that she's going to have to be taught by Tenzin. She knows who she he is because she knows Katara. Um, and he's her son. <laughs> um, so it, it just feels very strange that it's like one scene we see her being like, I'm ready to learn airbending. And they're like, all right, I guess. Um, and then Tenzin shows up and he's like, Hi, so great to finally meet you. Um, can't stay, gotta go back. <laughs> like, well, I, I to have him send is... a fucking letter, have Cora be like, screw this, I'm gonna get taught airbending, still run away to Republic City, but then have them meet with him bailing her out of jail. Like, what a way to start off a relationship. There's some conflict, man, you know? Well, I, I it's mean, not stakes. It's like... But it's conflict. I, I mean, like, let's be real. I've never heard anyone say, I know the perfect fix for this animated cartoon action show. Let's <laughs> add more exposition by letter. Um, it's not even exposition by letter. Literally. Well, so you're saying, like, don't, let's not show that the, this is supposed to be her teacher, but, you know, he can't stay. Let's let's just skip all that. I mean, I'm all for skipping like filler, yeah. which this episode has a lot of, but like literally like, all you I need is like you're, Katara. You're giving like, this is like a fix all. And I don't think it really does. I mean, I like, let me give you an alternate pitch. Okay. So let's open it. Like the first, like the pilot episode of community, you know? The okay. Best show. <laughs> um, so we start off with, it's literally just Cora shows up in the city says, I'm the avatar. Do you know the way to Tenzin's house? Sure. Um, and we skip literally everything. And I everything else it. just gets shown in flashbacks over the course of the season. Great. But I mean, Good fix. the point being, you need a lot of restructuring in order for any of this to work. And you need a lot more like planning and you need a lot more conflict because yep. there just isn't a lot of conflict in. I, I, I don't have time to train you. I'm too busy. <laughs> right. 
It's really stupid. Like, there's some fundamental issues here. And then <laughs> that can't and be then, solved just by like moving the plot points around. When she shows up, he's like, "Stop wasting time doing other things and sit with me and train." And it's like, I thought you were busy, man. <laughs> like, apparently yeah, well, I mean, not. He's too busy to be away from his desk all day. I, but he can, you know. He can take five hours at a time to train her. Yeah. Um, so all, right. so the, all the conflict in the second episode is that Cora is really into sports. And he's like, sports are stupid. <laughs> you should meditate. And she's like, meditating for babies. What do you, what do you think of pro-bending as a concept and as a, um, and as a story story? Uh, structure. I have mixed feelings. Most of them yeah. are negative? Question mark. I have a lot of positive feelings about like, pro bending. I don't hate I think it it's as a really an idea. Interesting and like well thought out game. Like it's better thought out than Quidditch. Definitely. Let's be real. Sure. Um, and you know it does provide an interesting like opportunity to explore. Okay, how does bending change? over time and so they've sort of morphed it into sort of like boxing or like mixed martial arts yeah where it's less you know structured but but that's because the game itself is structured. And sort of like an so element of the martial arts itself to be sumo wrestling too where it's like you got to knock the guy out of the ring um yeah well to win. yeah yeah um it's it's very fun and uh just the inclusion of a you know, all three standard bending disciplines, you know, no air bending, obviously. Cause yeah. There's, there's there, there like none. 10 of them. <laughs> really there's four. There's 10 of them and they're all babies. Yeah. <laughs> that poor wife, like how many babies is she expected to have to repopulate the air bending earth? Um, just keep having them. Just keep popping it, them out. There is like some weird element of like religious fundamentalism. So the amount of kids they have that I'm like, I, I don't know how I feel about this. Um, but that's another Three kids topic. is not that many. We, Four. She's having we have, a fourth. That's true. It's not we, crazy. But that's a lot of kids. <laughs> your, your I know we have cousins that are four kids. That's a lot of kids. I'm like, there's so many of them. There's four of them. <laughs> okay. Um, You're just one away from five. That's one away from five. That's like a Andy, whole family unit in this, and We're himself. not judging. <laughs> Yes, Andy, we are judging. You have to. I'm not, okay? You, you I'm to, not judging anyone who is four. You have to take out one of your siblings. Jesus Christ. Um, no, it's, <laughs> this is a joke. Um, <laughs> anyway. Uh, where so, yeah, are in we? the second episode, Cora has to be the Cora leaf. Cora wants to pro um, Yeah, she's got to be the leaf. Be she's the leaf l- is pretty fucking quotable. I, yeah. I dig be the leaf. Definitely. It definitely plays into everything that I love about Avatar The Last Airbender, which is a bunch of people explaining to me why their bending works mm-hmm. and the mindset you have to be in in order to use it. Yeah. I love that stuff. Um, I love that you have to be, you know, calm in order to do water bending. that you've got to be, you know, you got to be in control to control your fire bending. you got to, it comes from the breath. I love that. Yeah. Um... And I, of course, They got to be rooted the, and strong to do earthbending. Yeah. And gotta I love that leaf. you got to be a leaf in the wind in order to, in order do to airbend. You got to sort of go with the, go with where the, wherever the wind takes you. You have and to set you, yourself free. And, and I like the idea because it's, it's, it was super interesting um, when Aang was trying to learn earthbending in the original um, how Toph was very much like, there's no trick that's going to move the rock. 
You just got to be stubborn and rooted and believe that that rock is better fucking move for you, which is the opposite of being belief, you know? You better off moved. <laughs> that rock better done move. Um, but like, but it really does feel like the exact opposite to be the leaf. Um, yeah. where be the leaf is you meet a rock, you go around that rock, you know, like you can, Absolutely. it's not a problem, man. You just gotta sneak over it, sneak around it. Yeah. And Cora um, is more stubborn and rock headed. She's more of an earthbender type than a waterbender type. Yep. But you know, I mean, the whole point is that she's all three of those things. She's sort of balanced, but also, you know, rock headed mm-hmm. and also, you know, kind of a fire, kind of a a fire fire head firehead. Yeah, hot headed. She's hot headed. That's the word. <laughs> she's a she's a fire head. Um. So yeah. So she's got to be the leaf. She wants to do sports. Her me and dad won't let her. So she runs away to secretly watch sports. And she meets two dudes. Uh, who the, are the dudes? I don't know. What do you think of them? I just So I think initially in this episode I dig the hell out of them. I'm like, yeah, I'm on board to meet these people. First of all, Bolin is not Bolin yet. Yeah, he's right not now, the worst. He's just he's just a, you know, kind of a jock. He's kind of like he's interested in Cora. He's sort of a ladies man. Yeah. Um and he's just, you know, kind of like, hey, you know, I'm just going to I'm just going to flirt. And like, hey, she's with me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you like me? Um, you know, he's, he's kind of awkward, but he's not overt, just comic relief. He's got right. stuff to teach. He's got stuff to, to gain. He's he's in it to win it. Yeah. Um, Mako's the jerk. He, yeah. Mako is the, you know, the loner. The Zuko. Who, is just super hot and you just want him because he doesn't want you. And that's the I hottest just, thing of all. I just hate both of them a lot, even from the beginning. But he's not like, like Mako has not been well established enough to hate. I don't think. Well, okay. This you is, only hate him because you know what he becomes. I do know what he becomes, but also <laughs> I want to point out this particular line that really kind of rubbed me the wrong way. So okay. Bolin, Cora sneaks into the pro bending auditorium um, she gets caught and Bolin sort of comes to her rescue and then like takes her to like the staging area where the teams enter the arena. Um, and Mako's there and he's like, blah, 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 step bringing in stupid girls. They do the match. They come back. Not stupid girls cause they're girls, but stupid girls because he's, he's a, he's a notorious flirt. Well, sure. Yes. Um, like, you're distracting. The girls are distracting. I don't want more of your fangirls. Fangirls suck. Um, I'm too hot. <laughs> so they do the match. They win. They come back. Cora's like, whoa, that was great, guys. Good job, Mako. And he's like, yeah, whatever. Um, and then Cora has a really, really lame comeback. I can't even remember what it was. It was so bad. Um, and then... She's like, hey, maybe you could show me some moves sometimes. And Bolin's like, yeah, sure, maybe, but uh, I don't think I can do that with a waterbender. And she's like, well, no problem, I'm an earthbender. And he's like, oh, I thought you were from the water type. She's like, I am. I'm also a waterbender and an earthbender and a firebender. And they're like, oh, shit, you're the avatar. And 
Mako specifically says, you're the Avatar and I'm an idiot. Because the minute he find out that Korra is important and not just someone who thinks he and his brother are cool, he's suddenly ready to be generous and kind and like, you know, not like effervescent or anything. But he's like, oh, I don't know if he I really changes nicer. anything about his behavior. But I mean, he is in the presence of royalty and like. <laughs> Basically, it's like if uh, the Dalai Lama was in your house and you were not polite to him because yeah, but you thought like, that he was just a homeless guy. But, like, like that to me I, is the, It would change you. Sure, it would change you, but also, like, maybe respect homeless guys, you know? like Sure. Ideally, you would respect everyone like they were the Dalai Lama, <laughs> but only there's only one of those. Sure. They're pretty unique, and you should probably treat them with a little bit of, you know, respect, even if you're kind of a jerky loner type. I guess. I don't know. It To me, it just really turns me off on his character, because I don't, like... I, I'm very much of the... Which, like, it's fine. You're allowed to have characters that do things that you don't agree with, um, who are who would act differently than you, or who do bad things. Like, I'm not saying that at all. It... It just It's not framed as very negative, but I mean I just I personally don't see the big deal. That's, like, it's that's the, fine. It's the Avatar. This is the singular most important figure in the entire mythos of the show. I know, I just don't like the idea. Well, and then the whole episode ends with him like one, it ends with Korra longingly looking out at just like the pro bending auditorium. Um but it it ends with Mako longingly looking out towards Korra on Air Temple Island. And it's like, Well, it's, I mean, I feel like it's just like he's curious at this point. I mean, he definitely doesn't like have the hots for her just on the basis of her being the Avatar. I know. Um, it's, It's just more like, huh, we're just a couple of kids who grew up on the streets, uh, which they are. Um, and, and, you know, we fought a way to, to, to make it to the top of the pro bending ladder. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know what? I think I, I think I'd like Mako a lot more if he just had a New York accent. Um, totally. It would make uh, him a little that less would, that would self-serious. Me. Uh, but in any case, I, I don't know. I don't, I don't hate Mako yet. I think he's, I think he's interesting as like this cool loner You're right. type. I he's, think that trope has a place. He's not the worst. Um, I mean, the place for this trope is really if it was, like, a school setting. Yes. You know, if it was Harry Potter. Yes. And, like, then the cool loner is, like, someone you can aspire to be right. uh, friends with or, it's you know, aspire to, like, have have him, you know, break through his walls and have him join your friend group. So, mm-hmm. But, like, sports, I think it wor- that works, too, because you got to impress him. Yeah. And once, so... you, once you impress him with your moves, <laughs> then suddenly he's interested. So once again, though, even though Cora has or supposedly has an overarching theme and plot that it's working towards. Um, We get a very episodic episode in that there's still no main conflict. The conflict is just Korra's bad at airbending and she wants to do pro bending and Tenzin doesn't want her to. The initial conflict in the first part was like, She's new to the city. She's uh, she's fresh off the boat, which they literally say, which I thought that was a great line, you know, great touch, that they, they call her fresh off the boat. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, there is a line about, like, 
<laughs> about uh, Bolin assuming that uh, that Korra was a water tribe person Based on and then being surprised outfit. that she could earthbend. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, there's like you know race and stuff is being dealt with here in the fact that this city is a melting pot, which the Avatar world was not uh, a melting pot. Right. Like people but traveled, case, the, but it wasn't a melting pot. Right. So as a melting pot, the villain cannot just be a different country. It has to be a faction within your own country. So in this case, it's the Equalists. Um, and we saw the first the first look at the Equalists in the last episode when Korra is hanging out in Central Park, basically. Um, and right. she comes across a guy who's like, the benders are oppressing us. And she's like, no, bending's super cool. And he's like, well, actually, what, are you a bender? And she's like, yeah. And he's like, well, case in fucking point, you have some privilege. And she's like, well, maybe you're oppressing yourselves. And yeah, I that didn't wanna, really make any sense. I really, but they pointed out in the episode that it didn't really make any sense. They do, but it's like, Cora doesn't learn her lesson at the end of it, which like, not in this episode. Does uh, she even in this season, really, though? We'll see. We'll see. Uh, the whole point but you know, so... to me is, like, the initial introduction of this kind of shows the, the issue with it, is that it, basically what it's conflating is sort of the fascist uh, rhetoric that goes into sort of like, you know, blaming the Jews for having the power, you, you know, Whereas you're actually blaming their race rather than their actual, you know, power in society. Um, this doesn't really work as communist rhetoric because it's not actually addressing class issues. Mm -mm. It's addressing this weird racial issue involving benders and non-benders, which is genetic. Right. It's so it's just kind of, you already start to see that disconnect that it's like, so what you're trying to sort of poke holes in is the, you know, communist sort of ethos of whoever has the power, you know, they're bad because everything's not equal. Right. And so that's what this show is critiquing is like, well, not everyone can be equal. So you have to learn how to like work together or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, and just as a bad job you know, of doing like, it. Yeah. Like you can't like they're saying, if you try to make everyone equal, you're just going to bring the people at the top down and not helping anybody at the bottom. Right. Which uh, is, did you, uh, I, I believe, <laughs> do you ever have to read this short story, like Harrison Bergeron, I believe it's called or something yeah. like that. Yeah. Which is like, wear the hat. Well, it's more than a hat, but it's a bad hat. It's the, he wears the bad hat and it makes him stupid. Uh, and, and his muscles all weak and he's the Ubermensch, but he can't be because those damn commies, um, right. So the point is, it's, it's a dumb. bad critique, but additionally it's problematized even more because the people who supposedly have the power in the society have so based on basically a racial, uh, lottery, which is, or like a genetic, genetic lottery, lottery, which yeah. is very weird, very weird, non-standard way of presenting. Uh, right, privilege. it's so not yes, something in this government. There is a there. There are only benders who are the councilmen, which is weird. Yeah, but it doesn't seem like it has to be that way. No, or like and it certainly it certainly wasn't before. 
you know, like but it doesn't seem like it doesn't seem like non-benders are restricted legally or or culturally from any particular privileges or jobs. Sure, or anything. And, it's just like and maybe there's literally an... the gangs have bending and the victims of the gang violence do not. Right, and like you know, maybe there's certain economic things that they're restricted from or jobs that they're not allowed to participate in, but we're never actually shown any of that context at least as far as i remember um right well, I what could we're be shown wrong. is there are gangs the gangs have fire bending and they use fire bending to like you know Screw steal things shit. from shops and threaten people and that's apparently what's riled all these equalists into a tizzy is like so gang it seems violence. more like you know gang violence that's a low class thing yeah you know, that's not a high class thing. That's for the lower classes. And so it seems more like this is sort of fascist rhetoric of just hate this particular minority because I say they're more violent. Right. So um, obviously that's bad. We're all against fascism, I assume, in our audience. But <laughs> yes. like, it's not really a particularly poignant critique of, of communism. And, yeah. You know, so... It's it's just messy. We've got hints of conflict, but we don't have any conflict yet. No, we we find out that the leader of the Equalists is this dude named Amon, and he wears a mask, and he's like, interesting, the Avatar's in the city. Um, we get nothing with that conflict at all in the second episode, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, but... but... Cora takes her first steps towards becoming an airbender. Yeah. Which is supposedly what the title of the season yeah. suggests is the plot. <laughs> One thing that we didn't talk about is that um, Tenzin finds out that Cora ran away to participate in the uh, airbending, or not the airbending, the probending yeah. thing. Probending. Uh, shows up, is super mad at her. They fight, and she's like, I'm going to participate anyway. And then she's losing. Tenzin's watching, uh, and then at the last minute, she's like, all right, I keep getting hit, so let's move like the leaf, which she does. She does it. She did it, which is great. I love that moment. I think that's great. Um, and one genuine like moment of like actual comedy that I did laugh at in this episode is when uh, she does, the team is winning, and Korra like, knocks the guy off, and... They're like, the fire ferrets win. And Tenzin just goes, woohoo! And like, gets like really excited uh, and then sort of just collects himself. Like, oh no, I didn't lose my my cool for a moment. Like, that yeah, to me is a I good mean. moment. I, think, I like yeah, him I think, there. I, I like him everywhere. I mean, I okay, I don't. I like him but, with a fox. I oh like my, him with a box. <laughs> with a fire ferret. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, did we even meet? Um, what's his name? The fire ferret? No, we haven't met the the cute mascot yet. But we have met Korra's mascot, which is Naga, who really doesn't have a character, pretty much. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I don't know what Appa's character is other than big. He's very big. He's the big guy in their five-man I mean, band. He's the he's big. He's, he's the, the big, big guy. quiet, friendly guy. Yeah. Um, but, like, yeah, I mean, animals have personalities. Uh, Naga doesn't. is a loyal dog um, who's also a bear. She just feels like much less of a mascot and character than Appa ever was, you know? Yeah, I mean, design-wise, it's a little more straightforward. Um, and just, I think the real issue is just, 
of what possible use is a dog that is also a bear in a city? Yeah. This is a useless... Like, Appa is incredibly functional. Yep. It's a flying bison. It can carry all of your stuff. It can, uh, you know, beat the shit out of, like, giant... Shit. You know, everything. And it's, you know, it's good transportation, good defense, good offense. carry other people... Offense. Uh, yeah, it, it you're, can you're traveling it everywhere. Can do you're it, traveling everywhere in the whole world. Totally, and it can do it faster than a lot of things. Um, yeah. and especially you spend a, lo- a very little time indoors in right. the first season of, of right of Avatar: The Last Airbender. Appa can even occasionally provide shelter. Yeah, I think they even. use his tail for shelter at one point or something. Yes. Um, Whereas it's a bear, it's also a dog. And you're walking down the city streets. Right. Like, the only... <laughs> Useless. Use, like, it's useful in the, like, ah, oh, I'm from out of town. Uh, and the dog runs over and tries to eat all the food. Um, and it's like, you got money, kid? No, get out of here. Uh, Why doesn't she have money? I don't, I don't understand. Know. She's like, like, I mean, to do, like... Because she's never some, needed it before. tribe credits she's... just not work in the Republic? It's it, that scene is literally, but like, why would she even have money there? You know, like she's the avatar. Everyone knows it. And she lived on a compound where all of her needs were but provided she's like, for. She's a, she's a princess and the avatar. I feel like she could get money. Totally. She totally could get money. She just didn't. Cause she's never needed it before. Right. <laughs> like, you know, it's Jasmine in the marketplace. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. I didn't realize I had to pay for this bread. I've never needed to. It's so Jasmine. And that would make, that would make Mako and Bolin like a split version of Aladdin Aladdin because they're the street urchins. Yeah. They're Aladdin and Abu. Um, Yeah. And and, Bolin is Abu. And the dog is just Raja the tiger who also doesn't do a lot. Um, All right. Well, this is our new analysis of Korra as just being an extension of the Disney verse. Yeah, and Avatar is just Harry Potter. Um, it's great. Yeah. Tune in next week for uh, some yeah. more episodes. It, it, give us some feedback. I mean, we talked for a pretty long time about five episodes. We uh, did. If this is about the length that you guys want for future episodes. Let us know if you think maybe we should you know, keep it brief. Uh, be a little shorter. Let us know that as well. Totally. I, I think there was also a lot to get into as the first episode. Um, yeah. It'll be a little more streamlined next time. Yeah. Um, um, but let us know your thoughts about Korra and Avatar as concepts. And, and you know, maybe watch along with us. Yeah. So these episodes will be we'll coming out. While. <laughs> totally. These episodes will be coming out bi-weekly. Um, so next week. That's every two weeks, not twice a week. Yes. <laughs> God. <laughs> Oh my god, that would be so much. Um, So next week, we'll have a regularly scheduled Talking Tropes episode for your listening pleasure. Until then, you can follow us at Talking Tropes on Twitter. Uh, Or you can find us on Patreon, also at Talking Tropes, if you want to force our hand and make us do something else yeah keep doing this if if you guys want us to talk about a specific trope or a specific show or movie we are capitalist shills totally give us money and we will give you content (laughs) um all right that's it from me we'll see you next week bye bye